I'm thankful for those two men who moved this so you didn't have to watch me make a fool of myself trying to do it by myself. Very thankful for them. Well, as you've caught the theme already this morning, uh, we are continuing on in our series of thankfulness, the series called Give Thanks to the Lord. And this morning, if you see at the back of your bulletin, there's always on the back of your bulletin the text for the morning as well as the title of the sermon. The title of the sermon today is Pray That We Might Give Thanks. This morning, I'm going to be teasing out that particular sermon title and tying together prayer and thanksgiving, for they are woven together. And I think there's a clear illustration of this within our own congregation uh, from a family that's already come up this morning, and that's the Ginsert family. As Dave had uh, already mentioned in his prayer once before, the Ginsert family, specifically David Ginsert, has been battling cancer for the last seven years. And for the last seven years, our church, as well as so many other people, have been following the ups and downs of David's recovery. He was diagnosed with cancer when he was six years old, and for the last seven years, we have been praying for him. What started as one family, an impact on their family, has grown to impact so many more beyond. There are countless prayers that have been offered for David, for his sister, for his mom, his dad, his extended family. And when those prayers were answered... Thanksgiving to God multiplied in those prayers. So because David and his family were willing to share with us the ways we could pray for them, and we did pray with them and for them, when we saw God answer prayers, Thanksgiving multiplied to God. Out of just one family came a multitude of Thanksgiving. For you see, it is through prayer that we participate in God's work so that thanksgiving might multiply to God. David's life perfectly illustrates this point. We pray so that we might give thanks. Let's pray now and then step into our text for the morning. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful this morning that you did provide your holy word. You provided it to the people who've come long before us, and you provide it for us yet again this morning. Teach us to be grateful people, that you tore open the heavens and you brought down your holy word so that we might know who you are. Lord, I ask that this morning you would reveal to us more of the truth of your word. Help to open our eyes, for we must see with the eyes of faith that we may discern what is in your word. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 8. You can turn with me in your copy of God's Word, or you can look on the back of your bulletins or up here on the screen. Let us read. Paul begins, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. 
On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This morning I want to begin at the end. We're going to head back to the beginning of our text and then I'm going to return once more to the end. Our central point for the day is this. Through prayer, we participate in God's work so that thanksgiving may multiply to God. Let me say that one more time. Through prayer, we participate in God's work so that thanksgiving may multiply to God. I think you see this in our text in verse 11 where it says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. You see, Paul is asking the Corinthians to pray for him so that when those prayers are answered, many may give thanks. Not just Paul, but many may give thanks. Paul points to this, that when God's people pray for one another, we cooperate in God's work in the life of another individual. As prayer increases, thanksgiving to God does increase. Well, where does this need for Paul's prayer request come from? Paul gives us an insight into that in the beginning of our text, in verse 8, where he tells us that they do not want, Paul does not want the Corinthians, to be unaware of the affliction they experienced in Asia. Uh, Asia, for Paul at this time, would be our modern-day Turkey region. So there's something that's happened to Paul and the people traveling with Paul in that modern-day Turkey region, which he calls Asia. And though we don't know exactly what happened, later on in the book of Corinthians, Paul will cite many different trials that he's had already in his missionary journeys. We might think specifically of a particular instance in Ephesus on the corner of the Aegean Sea where Paul was run out of town by an angry mob seeking to kill him. We don't know if this is the specific instance that causes him to describe the situation in such dire circumstances, but Paul feels, and it says in our text here, for we were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. This is the situation Paul finds himself in with his company. This is the kind of burden Paul feels that keeps him up at night. So utterly burdened beyond our strength that we thought that death itself had come upon us. You know, it's that kind of feeling you get when you wake up in the morning and, and you lay there on your pillow and you just wonder, do I really have to get up today? Like, can't I just stay in bed today? That's the kind of soul-weighing kind of suffering and burden Paul was underneath. Perhaps you have felt such a burden before yourself. Perhaps you're in such a place this morning yourself. Paul felt the very weight of death, this kind of suffering weighing down upon him. However, he wasn't without hope. And there is good reason. When we are powerless and our actions fail and our strength is totally gone, we have nothing left to give. God is more than strong enough. For Paul says, indeed, we felt that we'd receive the sentence of death. I've got nothing left to give, Paul says, but... 
That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul knew his suffering. He had reason for his suffering, and yet he knew that in the midst of his suffering, there was still his God to rely upon. This is a profound truth, and it can settle into your mind for just a minute. Paul's affliction that caused him to despair of life itself was meant to make him rely on his God. This means that all suffering, every single small or large suffering in your life has a purpose. At the very least, it's to make you rely upon the Lord and not upon yourself. Paul says, he calls God here the one who raises from the dead. Don't let the, this raising the dead just pass you by. Yes, God does literally raise the dead. He literally raised Jesus from the dead. But Paul feels like the death sentence has been placed upon him. He says he feels so utterly crushed that he has the sentence of death, but God raises the dead. You see, Paul knows that God can raise him out of his feeling of deadness in his situation. And if you this morning feel as good as dead, that the weight of your suffering is so great that you feel as if you've received the sentence of death when you are powerless and have nothing left to give, there is still God who raises from the dead. He has the strength to literally do so and he has the strength to bring you out of the suffering you currently are in. Paul actually says this of himself later on in the text. He says there in verse 9, that it was to make him rely not on himself but on God, for he, God, delivered us from the deadly peril, and he will deliver us. You see, Paul was delivered from that soul-crushing weight that was on him, and he's confident that God will do it again. This is not the way it works for all of us, and yet God saw Paul through this particular situation. You see, suffering has one of two effects on your life. It will drive you toward the Lord in more prayer and reliance and dependence upon him, or it will drive you away from the Lord in more sinful escapes from the pains of your suffering. It will do one of those two things in your life. The faith-filled person will move toward God knowing that he can do what we cannot. The faithless person seeks to manage their own sin, sorry, manage their own suffering through all means of sinful escape. The faith-filled person will grow in a humble dependence upon the Lord, even if it is through great suffering. The faithless person will dive deeper and deeper into those sinful habits, which they think is a way of escape. You see, God has strength to provide that far outstrips your own. It far exceeds what you can do. He can provide that kind of strength to you. If you rely on him and not yourselves, he will give you the kind of faithfulness to walk before him. He will give you strength to stay faithful to the end. There's a beautiful song we've sung here before at Cornerstone. I go to it in those seasons where I feel like, oh man, I I feel like the weight of life is upon me. It's called Afflicted Saint to Christ Draw Near. I know I've talked to many of you and this song has been a salve for your soul in the hard seasons of life. 
Here's how it goes. It says, afflicted saint to Christ draw near. Your Savior's gracious promise here. His faithful word you can believe that as your days your strength shall be. When called to bear your weighty cross or sore affliction, pain, or loss, or deep distress, or poverty, still as your days your strength shall be. So sing for joy, afflicted one. The battle's fierce, but the victory is won. God shall supply all that you need. Yes, as your days, your strength shall be. That's not a a reminder of how you need to be strong. Oh, just buck up and take it, right? Grin, grit your teeth and bear it. No, it says, rely upon your God. He will give you strength. If you woke up this morning and you felt like, I don't know that I really wanted to wake up this morning. God has a plan and a purpose for that. There's a reason why you're here this morning. If he's given you this day and you don't feel like you have the strength for it, he will provide the strength for it. As your days, your strength will be. This is what Paul had to learn, that at the end of his strength comes the Lord's, that when he feels the sentence of death is upon his life, it was for the very purpose that he might learn to rely upon the Lord. So when your suffering too is great, that is when you must trust to learn, you must trust to lean on the Lord. This is actually a gift from God in your life. I know it doesn't feel like it, but it is a gift from the Lord that you might learn to rely upon him. This is what Jesus does, right? Our great example, the one who is set before us, what it looks like to live as a true dependent human upon God, his heavenly father. When he's in the garden of Gethsemane, he's praying and he's under a great weight of suffering, but first Peter recounts it this way. What is Jesus like before he goes to the cross? He says, when Jesus goes, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But what did Jesus do when under this great weight of suffering, he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly? Jesus, the time when he was most under suffering, When he was headed to the cross, he entrusted himself to God. He knew that in his father, he could have the will of his heavenly father be done. He could allow his heavenly father to strengthen him for the task that is to come. Jesus chose the hard, but the holy path. Maybe you have to walk this same path this morning, the path that feels like death. You have one of two choices laid before you. Move toward the Lord in a prayerful dependence upon him, knowing that the suffering may not go away, or to move away from the Lord in a sinful self-reliance whose end is only ever-growing sin. Paul says here in our text, I felt so utterly burdened that I had nothing to give. Death itself had come upon me, but it was so that I would come to rely upon the Lord. And the Lord did, in fact, deliver him from that affliction. Praise the Lord for that in Paul's life. 
Verse 11, we come now to the end of our text once more to pull back in this idea of prayer. Where does prayer tie into all this? This sounds like God and suffering, but where does prayer and thanksgiving come in? Well, let's not forget that this morning it is through prayer that we participate in God's work. How can we do that? Verse 11, Paul calls on the Corinthians, living hundreds of miles away from where Paul is when he writes this letter. He says, you also must help us. Help you, Paul? How in the world are the Corinthians going to help you? You sound like you need a bodyguard. You sound like you need someone to protect you. You might need money to handle these difficult situations. You might need really good advice. Paul doesn't ask for any of those things from the Corinthians. He says, you must help us by prayer. You must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. You see, it is, Paul knew this fact, that it is through prayer that we participate in God's work. Revelation chapter 8 talks about the prayers of the saints on the last day. And I want to prove this point to you, that your prayers actually have a tangible effect on the lives of other people. For God uses your prayers to accomplish his will. We see this in Revelation chapter 8. I'll read just a a few verses there. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stood before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the right hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there was peals of thunder, rumbles, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. I want to zero in here in this text on the prayers of the saints. Notice there's all this vivid imagery of the coming judgment of God that's going to come down on the earth. And yet mixed into that is this, sta- this statement. It is the prayers of the saints that are in the censer thrown to the earth. It is the prayers of the saints, which are a sweet aroma to God, coming up from that censer. You see, when God goes to judge the earth on the last day, It will be the prayers of his saints. Lord, send Jesus. Lord, take care of all the suffering in this world. Lord, end all the sin of this world. It's so much. It's too much for my heart to bear. And when we cry out to God and we say, end all the suffering, God says, yes. And know what? I'm going to use your prayer, that one you just prayed, to end the suffering of this world. You see, the prayers of the saints are used by God for God to accomplish his will. No, the Lord does not need you to do this. God is perfectly capable on his own of accomplishing his will. He does not need your prayer, and yet he uses your prayers to accomplish his will. He invites you to participate in him accomplishing his will on this earth and in the lives of individuals by prayer. When we say prayer is powerful, we mean it, for God uses prayers. This is a profound truth that 
through prayer, we actively, let me emphasize that, we actively participate in God's work in the life of other people. You know, in our culture, sometimes a tragic event will happen and you'll hear any number of unbelieving people say, well, our prayers are with the family or our prayers are with that community of people. And what they really mean by that statement is, uh, I hope you feel emotionally better, like a little pat on the back that somebody else cares about your situation. Now, that's a, a nice sentiment that other people care about your situation and I don't want to demean the way that other people feel sorrow for another person. And yet, when a Christian says our prayers are with them, we don't mean some emotional pat on the back like, gosh, I hope that makes you feel better. We mean we will actively call for the God of this universe to come bear his full weight of power on your situation to change things. That's what we mean when we say our prayers are with you. It means we're asking the one who can change your whole situation to come and to act. You see, prayers are powerful. If this morning I was thinking and I was praying for many of you this morning who maybe you feel like, you know, my body, my energy level, my talents, my mind, maybe they're not as sharp or as strong or as as much energy as I used to have. And you think, well, man, I, I really wish I could serve in this or that way or I really wish I could do this or that in my life. But you know what? I, I can pray for that, I guess. No, not just, I guess I can pray for that. You in your prayers are actively participating in God's work. You know, as Americans, we sometimes do think, well, it's what I do. I wish I could contribute more. Your prayers contribute far more than you know, far more than you realize. You're calling God to take action. Paul says, Corinthians, I need help. So I need you to pray. Your action for me will be your prayers. This is why a monthly prayer meeting at 9.15 on a Sunday morning, our house of prayer, is not an insignificant ministry of the church. It is a very significant time in the life of a church. This is why our Wednesday night prayers on a weekly basis is not an insignificant part of what happens at our church. It is a very significant part. For in those meetings, we gather together and we ask God to come and to change things we have no power over. There's a saying I heard once that says, Sunday morning attendance will tell you how popular your pastor is. Sunday night attendance will tell you how popular your church is. And prayer meeting attendance will tell you how popular your God is. I wonder how popular the Lord is at our church, in your own heart. I've appreciated Dave so many times. He points me back again and again to this. The things which we do not pray about are the things which I believe I can take care of. And the things I do pray about are the things I know only God can take care of. That's a humbling thing in my life. How many things do I think I've got this and I don't need God's action in this area? Prayer is powerful. Prayer is the way by which we actively participate in God's work. To go back to our main point, it is through prayer that we participate in God's work. Why? So that thanksgiving might multiply to God. You see the point here? First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1.11 reads, so that many might give thanks. For what? What are we giving thanks for, Paul? 
on our behalf for the blessing granted to who? To Paul and his companions, to us through the prayers of many. You see, Paul's saying in his life, God's going to do something. If God delivers them from trial and adversity, then not just Paul is going to give thanks, but many will give thanks. Why? Because they prayed. They participated in God's deliverance there. Let me make the point for us here today to go back to David for just a minute. Imagine for just a minute if the Ginsert family did not share with anyone else the situation in their lives. And for the last seven years, God continued to answer the prayers of their family for David in the exact same way. How much thanksgiving would God receive? One family's worth. And we would thank the Lord for that. Now, contrast that to what has happened. The ways that they've shared their needs with, the, with our congregation and with so many others. How many prayers have been offered? How many answered prayers and thanksgivings have been offered? You see, when we share and we pray for one another, thanksgiving multiplies. We pray so that thanksgiving may multiply to God. And this is exactly what I want us to do this morning. I'm putting a period on our sermon right here. I think you understand what Paul is saying here. Now I want you to do it. You see, Sunday after Sunday, we get an opportunity to challenge, encourage, exhort you to maybe go do something out in the community when you leave. Share the gospel with somebody. Love a brother, a sister. Love a neighbor in the name of Jesus Christ. Love the person that's hard to love, right? And you got to do that when you leave here. But what I want you to do today is to pray so that you might actively participate in God's work in another person's life. That when those prayers are answered, thanksgiving may multiply to God. I think we can do that right here and right now. So what I want to do is take the next 10 minutes or so, and I'm going to guide you through a time of prayer together. We're going to be praying for other people. There'll be some prayer points up here for you. And I'm going to ask you to pray for specific people. At first, it'll be the person on your right or on your left. It'll be a specific group of people. We're going to be in silence for that time. So I'll give a particular group, this first one here, pray for the person on your right or on your left. And then we're going to take a minute or two just in silence for you to pray for that person on your right and on your left. You know, maybe you do, maybe you don't but you're going to pray for him. You're going to ask the God of the universe to come and bear his full weight of what he can accomplish in their life. So we'll do this for about the next 10 minutes or so, working our way through various prayer points, and then I'll close in a word of prayer. So this first one, pray to the person on your right or your left that God's will would be done and God would meet them in whatever they need. Let's pray.
Next, pray for the widow and the widower, that God would sustain them and that he would draw near to them. Now pray for the non-Christian who you want to know the Lord. Pray for them by name. Now pray for the next generation of Christians, those children, teenagers, young adults, that they be unashamed of the gospel. Pray for them by name if you know the ones by name.
Now pray for those who can't gather with us on a Sunday morning. I have two specific names from our congregation up here that right now can't gather with us on Sunday mornings. Pray for them specifically and any others that you know can't meet with us on a regular basis here on Sunday mornings. Let us pray for them. Now pray for the person who you know that is currently in a season of suffering, that God would use their suffering for good and not evil, and that he would lead them out of that season. Pray for that person specifically. Now pray for the person that I didn't mention that comes to your mind. Somebody who you know you need to pray for but didn't fit into any of those categories. Pray for them.
Father, I give you thanks that this morning we got to pray for so many people. Lord, only you know the number that we prayed for this morning. Only you know the ways that your saints' prayers will be answered. We thank you for hearing our prayers. You have heard and we believe that you have listened to our intercessions for other people. We humble ourselves before you and ask that you would teach us to know your strength, to see your will done. We rely on you and not ourselves to do the things which we are incapable of doing. So many of our prayers this morning were for things that we have no power over. Situations, life circumstances that we do not have the strength to change, and yet you do. You are mighty to save, to renew, to restore. So we've brought our request to you, the one who can change all things. Lord, answer that we might return to you with a prayer of thanksgiving. Turn the prayers of your saints into a chorus of thanksgiving. For we desire to exalt your name and to glorify you because of all you've done. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please stand.